podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV. So go and check them out for anything wrestling related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it. It's all there at Powered 4 TV. So find them across social media. Guys and gals, Stewie's Wrestling Podcast is the hottest thing going in 2020. It's going to be the hottest thing going in 2021. And if you miss out on riding this train, guess what? You're not a fan of pro wrestling, and you're not a fan of anything that's hot. Because this is a hot commodity. Check out Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. It's episode 55, and my guest today is coming all the way from Tokyo, Japan. It is Ryan Fujiwara. Ryan moved out to Japan from Australia many, many years ago. Mr. Fujiwara has wrestled for Pro Wrestling Noah, Wrestle One, All Japan as a freelancer, and he's took on some of the best, including Tatsumi Fujinami, Keiji Muta, as we know as the Great Muta, and many, many more. We talk about some of the trips he's had across Japan for the various promotions and world events that he's been to in America, Dubai, and he's even been here in the UK. So, without further ado, this is episode 55 with Ryan Fujiwara. Enjoy. My guest today, all the way from Japan, but he was born in Australia, it is Ryan Fujiwara, all the way from Japan. Whereabouts in Japan, actually? Where, where are you based? I'm in Tokyo. Oh, nice. Right in the capital. Yeah, right, Tokyo. So... How's it, how's it been over there with uh, COVID and stuff of that nature? I'll ask you that first. Well, you know, for, I mean, we had an, an emergency shutdown, they called it, but it was never a lockdown, right? So we were told, basically, stay home if you can. Um, they closed down a lot of the nightlife for like a month in April. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, it's not. It's 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 kind of just in the back of our minds right now. It's not. A, it's not at the forefront. You know, everyone here wears a mask already. Um, we're generally pretty good with. Well, Japanese are generally pretty good with hygiene, as it is. Um, the only problems that we ever used to have, like on the trains here in Tokyo, like the old salarymen would be like, <coughs> you know, coughing and spluttering, and not covering their mouths, and that's all changed. So now they do too. So it's. It's not really a whole lot of difference, to be honest. Okay, that's cool, man. That's cool. Right, I'm going to get to you now. We're going to segue into you. When did you first begin wrestling training? Um, so I was, I've been doing martial arts since I was six years old. Um, started with Taekwondo. Got it up to a second degree. Black belt was in like the Australian junior team. Um, then one day randomly, my, my father said to me, you know what, you kind of at the top of your game for Taekwondo. So this is when I was 12 going on 13, we're going to pull you out and we're going to put you in, in karate. Um, and he wanted me to basically start all over again as a white belt. So I did that. And that's kind of what got me to Japan. Originally, I came over here when I was 19 for karate for an eight week trip. And I kept doing all that um, until I was about maybe 20. So that's 20 years of, of kind of like martial arts. And I kind of, 20 years of martial arts. And I kind of, um, 
kind of got sick of it for a while and just, you know, got into the, you know, you're a young man partying here in, in Tokyo. And I started doing uh, Aikido, which I still do today. And along the way, I kind of missed the kicks because in Aikido, there's no kicks. So I thought, well, I'm going to start. My friend um, convinced me to join his kickboxing dojo. It's probably around 2008. I was kickboxing for a whole time. And then around 2012, there was a fortune teller in the gym. We're a 55-year-old Japanese lady just kind of doing kickboxing as a hobby. And she says to me, look, I'll, I'll read your tarot cards and I'll, I'll uh, do your, I'll read your palms. I'll do your tarot cards and let's see. So she did it all. And she said like, well, once it was all out there, like, Oh, your, your life path is not going at the way that it should be. You're not doing what you want to do. Like, what do you want to do? And I was kind of just half jokingly said, Oh, I really want to be a pro wrestler. Now this woman unbeknownst to me, had like amazing connections in the um, MMA world in Japan and the pro wrestling world. And she said, well, I know this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. So how about I hook you up? And I was like, what, really? And she put me in touch with a guy called Akira Nogami who had spent his entire career in New Japan. He was a, 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 a young boy, they called him, in New Japan. And... There was a, sh- a company at the time called Smash, and it was run by uh, Tajiri, Yoshihiro Tajiri, who had been in WWE. And Akira invited me down, and he said, well, I'll introduce you to Tajiri, and we'll go from there. So that was February, January, I lied, J- January 2012. This company called Smash, and they were c- quite an amazing company. Uh, their top star was a girl called Kana, who is now Asuka in WWE. Absolutely. Um, so I went down there and I was like amazed by the ability of all the wrestlers. And I, t- and I met Tajiri. I never forget. January 2012, um, Akira took me right behind the curtain. That's all they let me go. Like at the backstage curtain, they wouldn't let me go any further. And Tajiri had all this green around his mouth because he had just missed somebody in the main event and he smiled and all his teeth were all green. And he, he said to me in Japanese, Oh, hello, you know, hello. Do you speak Japanese? Of course I, I went to university here and I've been here a long time already. So I do speak Japanese. And I said to him, yeah, I speak Japanese. And I'd been at the gym already, you know, working out and kickboxing and stuff. So you can see that I was kind of somewhat built. And he looked at me, he goes, come down to training. If you like it, you're in. And Akira looked at me and he was like, wow, that never happens. And anyway, I maybe spoke to Tajiri for less than a minute. And then Akira said, he's like, well, that never happens. That surprised me too. Usually they said, come down and do what they called an ent- entrance examination, where they basically try to break you and kill you, which involves like, say, 500 squats, 500 jumping squats, like an enormous amount of push-ups. Basically, what they do is they want to see what point you'll break and they'll most likely take you anyway. But I didn't have that. Um, For whatever reason, Tajiri, who has a history in Japan of building foreign nobodies into stars, 
took one look at me and said, like, all right, if you come down to training if you like it, you can join. I got an email a week later from Akira saying, I'm sorry to tell you, but Smash is folding. And I thought, oh, my God, that's my, my dream is down the toilet. It's gone. He wrote back and he said, but we're starting a new company called Wrestling New Classic. If you go onto YouTube, you can see, um, if you type in Dave Finley, Wrestling New Classic, he ac Finley actually gets on the mic and he says, keep wrestling classic. And there were some lines that Tajiri had given him on the last Smash show to start this new company. Um, and Finley was a big part of the company at the time, and he ended up carrying over for a year, the first year of WNC. So I get down there in, in April of 2012, and like the entire roster is there. So Kana, who is now Asuka, so she was there. And the new WNC company was built on Tajiri and Kana. They were the two big stars. They were like what they call the aces. And I watched one training session, and I said, I'm in. I want to, I want to, I want to be in. I had to quit my job. I was working. I had done English teaching for a long time, but I actually was working for Bank of America at the time, doing like IT stuff and filming. I'm also a filmmaker, right? So most of my stuff was like filming stuff in the bank. And I said, right, nope, I'm done. I gave it all up and um, the rest is history. So from April, the answer to your question is from April 2012. How, how tough was training? Obviously, you've explained about your martial arts background. Did you find it easy having that, the, the martial arts basis to your um, style? How did you craft it with training? That was going to be my next one. If I had been doing this in the West, I would have found it extremely difficult. But luckily, the Japanese fans accept a blurred version of a mix, kind of mix between MMA and pro wrestling. We can touch on this later. I'll, I'll fill you in on how Japanese pro wrestling started the boom of TV here and the boom of MMA here, which led to the boom of MMA overseas. We'll get onto that later. But if I hadn't have been doing it here, I think it would have taken me twice as long to debut. And um, I wouldn't have been able to really use a whole lot of those skills that I already had. Because in the West, we, we really just want to be pro wrestlers. I know now in 2020, there are a lot of um, guys who can do both. But this is back in, even in 2011, it's, it, was, it was really only Daniel Bryan in WWE you know, outside of Japan who was like kicking the hell out of people. So I got kind of lucky being here. How, how was it crafting your moves that early on? Um, well, to be honest... Japan is still very much whatever they can do to keep kayfabe to the fans, but not only to the fans, but to us wrestlers. Um, I really had no idea what was going on until a few matches after I debuted. They didn't, you know, I, I'm kind of obviously breaking kayfabe a little, but they didn't smarten me up at all, at all. Um, I had to learn how to basically wrestle properly. Uh, I guess uh, a simplified version of catch as catch can wrestling, which is kind of you know, where pro wrestling came from. Um, and then one of my coaches was a guy called Ohara, who's in pro wrestling Noah now. And he was like a, a Mexican luchador kind of guy. He'd spent a long time in Mexico. So I was doing a mix of 
like res- legit wrestling holds and a bunch of like luchador stuff, which was totally not, you know, what I was prepared for. But um, the training was some of the hardest stuff I've ever done in my life. The martial arts didn't really prepare me for what I was going to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I moved on from WNC because Tajiri decided he wanted to team up with the great Muta and join Wrestle One. And Wrestle One had just broken off from All Japan at the time. And All Japan is the very traditional kill you till you die kind of training. Like they'll just, and they'll drive you into the ground, body slam you until you can't get up, and then they'll body slam you again. Um, and squats by the 500s to the, I mean, we've done, I've done a thousand squats once. Couldn't walk for three days. It's like hardcore, old school wrestling training um but you know their whole mindset was if we can get you to overcome this mentally in training when it gets time to a match and you can't go any further physically in a match you'll be able to draw from that inspiration for being able to do go the extra step in training you'll be able to do that in a match and that was that's kind of where the japanese still take this more as a legit spectacle than more entertainment You've touched upon Wrestle One All Japan, uh, right. WNC. Which other promotions around Japan uh, have you have you wrestled for, and how do how do they differ for you personally? Okay, well, in WNC, I was kind of um, what's the word? Really taken care of because we we're a very sm- small group, and the wrestlers were all very young, and all of us young boys. Is none of us had any storylines. We were just told, go out there and wrestle. And Tajiri told me later on, about a year after I debuted, by the way, I debuted within 10 months, which was kind of a, a record for Tajiri. He said he usually makes everybody wait at least a year. Um, but he pushed me forward, and I debuted in 10 months, which was February 28, 2013. But getting back to your uh, question, so... WNC, I was really protected. It was Tajiri, Akira, like the vets, a couple of other veterans, but basically all young guys. And we were kind of just told, go out there, wrestle, learn your craft. When I got to Wrestle 1, that was the first time that we were on live TV, uh, Korak and Hall every month, shows eight to nine times a month. Um and that real old school mentality that I kind of really wasn't ready for. And I'll, I'll be honest that I struggled a lot in wrestle one more because, you know, I'm not Japanese and it took me a long time to get used to the Japanese way of thinking of train, 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 and then train some more. Um, but when I left wrestle one, I was the only foreigner at the time to have a contract I became a freelancer. And as soon as you become a freelancer, like that's it. Like there's no more wrestling training. You have to find your own place to do it. Uh, So like the legit, like five days a week, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Wrestling training stopped when I, when I left wrestle one, when my first, my contract expired. So it was like the end of 2015. And from there, I just, I've bounced around. I was in pro wrestling Noah for a year. Um, then I moved on to all Japan for about four months. 
Um, I've basically been in every company except for Big Japan and New Japan. And, you know, uh, New Japan have a thing you have to be over, I think it's like six foot tall, and you have to have this and this, and you have to be a certain age, or you have to have come from some kind of, you know, pedigree from the West, so like XWWE or ROH or something like that. So I kind of don't have that pedigree, so, you know, just, um, just stick into the freelance circuit at the moment here. Was uh, pre pre COVID? I know, obviously, shows have been running in Japan for quite a while yeah. since all this. Were you getting booked extensively as a freelancer? Yeah, you kind of have to put yourself out there because when you're a, a contracted wrestler with a company like I was for WNC and Wrestle One, they they own you, right? Once you have that contract, so they will they have X amount of matches. Like with with Wrestle One, it was it was about five a month. And then they'd, they'd um, outsource you, I guess is the word. And you'd have to go and do other matches for other companies and you wouldn't get paid for it because you're under a contract. Mm-hmm. So that was probably about five to seven a month with them. And when I joined Pro Wrestling Nora, I was a freelancer, but still getting you know on, on every show. So that was a good six to seven matches a month. And it kind of just slowly has, has gone down now to about, I would say, maybe before Corona, I would probably get two to three a month. Um, and now with Corona, it's, it's, I've had three since Corona started. How many, so pe- much of- how many people, sorry, I jumped in then. How many people have yeah. been inside the, the arenas for the shows? How, how many are they allowing in at the shows you've done during this time? Um, well, I know that New Japan took a good two months off completely. Nobody wrestled for them for a good two months, I think. Every other company, All Japan, Noah, they all had shows where it was the same as what WWE are doing, like no no one in the audience. Um, and since I've been back, they do this, like these, they call them like the social distance shows, they call them. So they have less than half capacity and every second seat is avail- is open. So no one can see, you can't, even if you're a couple or you come in with friends, you cannot sit next to each other. So for like a, a typical show where you'd get 500 people, I'd say maybe mm-hmm. 150. I'll tell you what, though, it's better than, better than nothing. You know, as you see with uh, the big companies in America, the way they're, yeah. they're, they're running yeah. them. I know WWE have done the Thunderdome and all that, but yeah. at least you've got some form of crowd there. Yeah. I, I bet that's good for you as a performer. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I have this thing where I get up on the turnbuckle in my intro and I, I spit water out. And I was in a tag match about two weeks ago and I did it. And this guy in my tag team goes, you can't do that. And I was like, oh yeah, shit. I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to have the fans there. Like I said, like the Japanese are very clean and, and very big on hygiene so you get in there and, you know, everyone's got to wash their hands. Uh, everyone's got to put the sanitizer on. You must wear a mask the whole time, that kind of stuff. How is it for you with the etiquette in Japanese wrestling as to what we have in, in Western terms of etiquette? Obviously, it differs in Japan. What, what, are, the, what are the differences for you with, with Japanese wrestling etiquette? That's what I wanted to ask you. Well, it's not just in, in wrestling, but... The Japanese in their entire society, whether it be university, high school, um, any kind of sport, tea ceremony, whatever it is, you name it, 
they have this senior junior system and the entire country is run by it. Um, you get promoted based on seniority only, basically here. Um, you come in, at, let's say, in judo, and you go into the judo club of your university or high school. You're immediately a, a, a junior, and your senior is God. But we have a senior-junior system, so you know who your seniors are. The, the uh, seniority, the latter, is established very clear. There is no, they have this famous saying in Japan, uh, he who, the nail that sticks out gets hammered back in. We know as nails in society not to stick out. We know that. And, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So I know that I have to, you know, uh, conform to these, uh, the standards of society here. And it's the same with wrestling. I polite to everybody, um, treat the juniors a little bit differently, obviously, and they will treat you like a god. It's, it's kind of a little bit strange. I would just like to treat everybody the same. But um, the senior-junior system here is it's extremely well-established. That's cool. That's cool, man. How has it been pitting your wits against some of the top guys in Japan? Which guys have you enjoyed getting in there with and tearing it up with through your career in Japan so far? Uh, I had a match in front of basically nobody, a tag match. On the road in 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 the mi- in middle of freezing cold winter in the countryside against uh, Marufuji, and he just blew me away. Like it was a tag match, um, and he just blew me away with his what he can do. And because it was freezing cold and there was basically no one in the stadium, you know, I'm not sure he, he probably didn't give it his all 100 percent that he would you know, in front of 10,000 fans, you know, at whatever Tokyo done, whatever. But, I mean, he could go in first gear and still be absolutely incredible. Um, another one, I, I teamed up in a six-man tag against the great Muta. Well, he was, he was actually as Keiji Muto. And he, the aura of that man is, it's like standing next to, I couldn't imagine what standing next to The Rock or Stone Cold would be like. Um, but I imagine it to be the same as when I stood next to Muta. Just the aura of that man is, is incredible. And then as far as brains go, I would say Tajiri, you know, my mentor is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met in and out of the ring. He's got like several amazing books as well. And just as far as being smart for the business, just incredibly smart. He's actually the current booker of, of all Japan, mm-hmm. but just incredibly smart. And what an amazing talent he, he is. That's incredible, man. That, that's a good one. Now, obviously, extending off that, who would you like to face? Who's, who's on the bucket list for Mr. Fujiwara? Who you haven't got in there with yet and you'd love to get in there. Maybe on, on a world level, not necessarily just Japan, if, you, yeah. if you'd like. Oh, well, if you get to talk world level, uh, you know, I, I kind of... Uh, honed what's the word I, I, I kind of based my my game off a mixture of CM Punk and, and Daniel Bryan who were both obviously very influenced by Japanese wrestlers you know I know that Kenta really influenced what Bryan was doing and they had some incredible matches here in Japan if you ever get a chance look on you know Bryan Danielson versus Kenta on YouTube just some of the most incredible stuff you'll ever see 
I kind of based my stuff off them. So, I mean, I would love to, to obviously wrestle either of them. Um, as far as Japanese go, oh, there's a bucket. There's too many. I've been so fortunate to be able to wrestle like several legends. Obviously, Fujiwara, I wrestled before. Uh, Tatsumi Fujinami, who's a massive legend here. One of the most famous. He's probably the number two to Antonio Inoki as far as being so famous here. This size, yeah, it's an endless list. It's that age-old question that we all ponder. Is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is, I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines, and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com. But I always get questions about various things I did through the years, to propel my career to where it is today as the world's most recognizable journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called is wrestling fixed i didn't know it was broken it's a great read got great views and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too so the answer to is wrestling fixed you know it now i didn't know it was broken this is bill apter and i'll see you at the matches gtg often imitated but never duplicated Kind of broad at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. No other promotion. Give us any lip. We the best of the best. The beast of the east. SOS. Simply out of sight. GTG. When he said, Good times go to you. This is coming away from wrestling now. I've got another one for you. Yeah. How does how yeah. does your day to day life differ in Japan? I know you've been in Japan for many years. So, how life was in Australia? Just to come away from wrestling a little bit. You like a personal? Well, I mean, I, I've been here since since I graduated from university. I did a one year exchange program here, and I went back and finished my degree in Japanese in Australia. And I've been here ever since. So, I mean, I only really know student life in Australia. So, basically, my entire adult life has been here in in Tokyo, and that consists of, you know, uh, well, right now there's a lot of a lot of filmmaking stuff going on. And just you know, hitting the gym and doing martial arts training as much as possible. How how often, obviously, prior to all this going on, how how often do you get back to Australia, if if at all? Uh, once or twice a year. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I always I always make sure to to wrestle at home. Um, always want to get, always make sure to get like the young guys over there. Um, you know. And let them work. Like I work a very Japanese style because it's all I know. I don't know anything else, right? Um, and I always make sure, you know, to let them know what it's like to wrestle against someone who's worked most of well all of his career in Japan. I've only wrestled. I'm gonna count three times in Australia, twice in the U.S., uh, Dubai. That might be it. So I've probably only wrestled a maximum six or seven matches outside of Japan. 
Who have you wrestled for in Australia and who have you, who have you come up against and who have you enjoyed working with when you've done, done this stuff in Australia? One of my, well, actually, my very first major feud was with an Australian guy uh, who came over. And, you know, we have a, a public holiday in Australia called Anzac Day. And the Anzacs are the Australian New Zealand Armed Forces. And I'm not sure what to see is for, but it's Anzacs. And we have a very famous day where we kind of like a memorial day in Australia. And we had me versus him for uh, the Australian title on Anzac Day in Tokyo, which was really cool. And he came over for three months, so we were back and forth. We had a nice little feud. Um, AJ Istria, his name name is. He's, he's still pretty big in Australia. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to wrestle... You know, Matt Hardy in the US, which is quite incredible. Matt is what an amazing mm-hmm. talent he was. He could wrestle blindfolded and still put on an amazing match. And he basically did. He let, I was, I was real green when I wrestled him. I'd been in the business about a year. And, uh, you know, they, they say you should be able to wrestle a, a broomstick and do it well. Well, trust me, Matt. Matt can do it. I've met Matt, Matt, Matt over in the yeah. states at WrestleCon. What a guy! Yeah, spoke to him. Obviously, you know he's there to do a signing. But I was speaking to him for it must be about three minutes. Any other cue? Yeah. Any other cue? And all that. What a what a top top guy. I want to meet Jeff actually, but Matt. Just to go back to your point, I know you wrestled him, but as a fan, meeting him just so yeah. much so much love for the fans, and it and it really it really shows, doesn't it? As you, as you say, uh, and, and should be doing it for the well, I got, when that The day that I wrestled him, I, well, the first time I saw him was basically, I met him once a day before, and I barely saw him again. It's like all fan interaction. Who, el- who else have you faced in America, obviously, when you went over? I, I went over there for a, a, an absolutely amazing company. They since closed down, but they were called 2CW. And on my particular show, there was uh, Kevin uh, Owens at the time, Steen. AJ Styles was on the show. It was an absolutely amazing top card. Um, they had used the Young Bucks quite a lot. And I went over there and I wrestled. My first match was against a guy called Jay Freddy, who I ended up helping get into Wrestle 1. And we had quite a few matches together in Tokyo for Wrestle 1 as well. So I wrestled him on the Friday night and then I wrestled Matt the next day on the Saturday. That was back in 2014. It's, you know, shout out to the two CW guys. It was what an amazing weekend. They flew me out there and, um, well, obviously they, they wanted to do a two CW, uh, sorry, an ECW reunion with Tajiri and Mikey Whitbrick. And I was Tajiri's bad boy. Basically I took it. I carried all these bags. I did all these translations. He's interpreting, and they wanted him to do a, uh, a seminar over there. And so I interpreted, you know, basically everything for him as the interpreter there. And just got to ride his, his, his uh, tailcoat. I got to D- Dubai because of Tajiri. You know, um, I was the only English speaker in, in WNC at the time. So he just took to me like, you know, like a fish in water. And basically became like his, his little overseas booking manager slash whatever whatever you want to call it bad boy and it was the greatest time of my life 
Where, whereabouts was that promotion based in America? Where did you Where did you fly out to? Just in relation, they were so. in Syracuse, New York. So New York State. Cool. That's a, it's a heaven. amazing. If you ever get, if you get a chance, have a look at um, Two CW on YouTube. They got some amazing stuff. Uh, you know, they use like the who's who of everybody that are, that are probably all now in WWE. The Northeast up there is a hotbed. There's not always has been for years. I bet it was incredible for you. Right. Going into your time in Dubai, I'm going to ask, how was the experience of wrestling out in Dubai? I'm sure it was totally, totally different to what you were used to. So yeah, your experiences in Dubai and, and how, it was, how it was for you wrestling there. I've got to ask, I've got to ask you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, all right, well, I'll start from the, the beginning and it's the craziest story and it can only happen in the wrestling world. I got an email randomly out of the blue saying, we want to book Tajiri. And I went to Tajiri and I said, look, I got an email from Dubai. And he said to me, Dubai, they got oil money. Tell them double the price for his regular booking. Expecting them to say like, no, but we can afford this much, you know? And I, I doubled the price to book him. Plus, you know, obviously everything, the airfare and accommodation. Obviously expected them to say, no, that's too much. And straight away they said, yeah, no problem. First of all, okay, all right, cool. Then they said, we need someone else. I was like, hello there. Uh, well, I'm available. And they said, great, you're in. Just like that. Just like that. Anyway, this was probably three months before we were supposed to go over. And Tajiri is one of these guys that loves to get his schedule set months in advance. He wants to know everywhere he's going months and months before. It came down to two months before and he starts, he starts really getting under me. What's going on with Dubai? Push him, push him. So I'm pushing him and they say, yeah, it's on, it's on, it's on. By this time, we had had a little WhatsApp group going. All the wrestlers had found each other. No, sorry, it was a Facebook group. All the wrestlers had found each other on Facebook. And we all had the same situation where we were all supposed to go to Dubai, but no one had any, no one had been paid for it. No one had flights. It got down to about four days before we were supposed to fly out. And no one had anything. No one had tickets. No one had money. And Tajiri had been very big on 50% up front or I don't fly. For me, I didn't care. Right, I was. I'd only been wrestling for like 18 months at the time, and this was a free trip to Dubai. I said, I don't care. I'm going. Uh, finally, about three days beforehand, because I'd been pushing and pushing and pushing these guys, because of Tajiri had been pushing me. I finally got a reply saying, "All right, we'll pay you half." So half of what Tajiri was uh, got was what he was what he usually gets anyway. So he was happy. They paid me, and I, I had told them a price that was, you know, four times more, you know, what I was supposed to get, right? And they paid me half, so I was already on double what I was supposed to get. Um, but a lot of the, no, actually, almost all the European wrestlers hadn't received a dime, nothing. Three days beforehand, it comes up to about 48 hours beforehand, and uh, we finally get paid. But what had happened was, they spelt Tajiri's name wrong on the Western Union transfer. 
he went down to get the money and they said, you can't have it. You've got your name's been spelt wrong. And Tiberi said, screw this. I'm not going. And he was so fed up with like just how unprofessional these guys were. And it was the entire group. The, like there was like 20 wrestlers. Chris Masters was on the tour and all the guys from Europe and, and Americans as well. And everyone was so upset, like just how unprofessional these guys were. But finally, within, say, the last 48 hours, everyone got the tickets out of the blue. We all got our tickets. But Tajiri was like, I'm not going. So he didn't go. Anyway, I went. I got half my pay, luckily. The European guys, I'm, I'm almost positive sure that they didn't get their pay. I get to the airport. There's no one there waiting for me. And I get onto the Wi-Fi there. And... The guys in the wrestling group, the Europeans and the Americans had all come earlier. And they had checked them into a three-star hotel. Now, this is three-star in Dubai, right? And there were rats in the hotel. The, the pillows had holes in them. It was just like pretty much the slums of Dubai where they had checked these wrestlers in. And by the time that the wrestlers arrived and by the time the other, other ones, and by the time that I arrived, I was like probably one of the last ones, they had had a protest to the promoters and said, we're not performing on your show tomorrow if you don't put us in a better hotel. So they put us in a five-star hotel. And the show was, it was only for two nights. What they didn't tell us is they only booked it for one night. We'll get back to that in a second. So I arrive, the hotel's all been taken care of. Thankfully, the, the veterans had stood up and they'd, they'd, done, they'd done us junior guys a solid and they'd included us in it. And they said, nobody wrestles unless you put all our guys in this hotel. So we all stayed in the, Obviously, you know, someone like Chris Masters had got the royal treatment. He had been really taken care of, ex-WWE. Anyway, so that was a Friday night. Saturday morning, I actually had uh, been introduced through a friend to an ex-WWE guy who was doing real estate in Dubai. Uh, ex-NXT guy. Well, at the time, Florida, FCW. He actually took me around Dubai all day and showed me around. It was awesome. Get to the show at nighttime. Like, no one, no one can find the promoters. They don't even come introduce themselves. The matches were all over the place. No one knew who was wrestling who because some people had pulled out and, you know, whatever. So about an hour before the show, the entire card gets swapped around and changed. Right? We don't know what's going on. About 45 minutes before the show, we hold a wrestlers-only meeting. No one's been paid, by the way. I, I, I had got my half. Some guys hadn't got any. And we had a, a meeting, and basically the thing was, well, we're here now. The fans are here. Let's go put on the show, and then we'll, we'll go see the promoters after the show. And it was a one-night-only show, and we'll go make sure they pay us. We had been promised by the promoters that it was in an, an Olympic a uh, swimming center where they'd put all wooden floors over the pools and they'd put a boxing ring down, right? With uh, like silk curtains for a canvas. So we were slipping and sliding all over the place on a, a ring that had no give. Incredibly hard. We were promised that there'd be minimum 2,500 people coming to the show. It was going to be massive. We get there and we go out. I was second on the card. I would say there would, be about, would have been about 70 people there. I would say 40 of them were kids. Whatever. It's still fun. We got there. I do the match. 
by half time, the promoters have completely disappeared. Like it's there's no, there's nowhere to be seen. Gone. End of the show comes. All these angry wrestlers backstage, and they're like, "We got to go find these promoters." But the promoters had taken off. They're gone. We had a driver, and the driver said, "Look, calm down, calm down, because the wrestlers are really angry. Calm down, calm down. I'll take you back to the hotel, and I'll tell the promoters to come down and pay you." We knew better that they weren't coming, but we, you know, they weren't at the venue. There's nothing. We we had to go back to the hotel. So anyway, the hotel was really nice, by the way, five star in Dubai. Anyway, so we're hanging out with some of the wrestlers there. I'd say it would have been it got to about midnight, maybe one o'clock in the morning in our room. We get a call from the front desk saying, "What are you guys doing in the room? Like this has, room hasn't been paid for. Like you guys have to leave now, or pay whatever it was. I think it was like six, seven hundred dollars a night, right, to stay in the room." They only booked us for that first that Friday night. They hadn't booked us for the Saturday night. So I said, "Well, hey, my flight's tomorrow. I'm going. I'm going out partying." So I grabbed my suitcase and I called up my my buddy who I, you know, the ex FCW guy, and I said, "Let's go out drinking." This is Saturday night, and Saturday night in Dubai is like Sunday night, right? So the the party nights are Thursday, Friday in Dubai. It was a whole lot going on party scene wise, but you know, I just. I went out to the bars and in Dubai and just waited to my flight the next day. I don't know what the other guys did, but just an incredible experience. Uh, um, you know, you meet these kind of people in the wrestling world sometimes. See, as, as a fan, we think it's all glitz, all glamour, but you had all that. You had all that going. You had all that going on, and uh, just oh my god, it just sounded uh, very unorganized. Just, well, as, as far as glitz and glamour go. There is zero glitz and glamour outside the ten to fifteen minutes you're in the ring, especially in Japan. In Japan, it's you 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 take an eight hour bus from city to city. It's silence on the entire bus ride. You're not allowed to talk. Now, no one tells you on the bus you can't you cannot talk. You just know that you're not allowed to talk, right? Because Japanese they're either all sleeping or they're reading their manga or their video games or reading whatever. You just don't talk, so you're in complete silence. And you get there and you check into what they call business hotels here, which are basically little tiny rooms, right? So tiny, more like the size of maybe I don't know your bedroom at the most, right? Very small little rooms, and that's how it is town to town. You you leave, you get on the road, you you know you're on the bus for eight hours in complete silence. Get to the arena, and when you wrestle for the big companies. Um, you know, for me, I was always very nervous because you know, as a freelancer, you're trying to keep your job. So you know, you got to go out there and perform. You got to do a good job. You know, if you mess up, that's it. You know, you. So it's a whole bunch. It's you know, for me, it was like get off the bus, go stretch, go prepare, but very jittery. You know, mm-hmm. and then when you get in the ring, finally you're okay. But leading up to that point of getting in the ring, it's you're very nervous, and as a guest in the company. You're very careful of which feet not to step on. You finish the match, you go do your merch sales, and it's straight back on the bus to the next town in silence. You know, this kind of <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't give any of it up for a second. And that—that's the main thing, isn't it? But yeah, as I say, <laughs> as fans think, 
it's all glitz and glam, but uh, no, good. That's good. Good way of putting it, and obviously the experience there on the bus in Japan. That no, that's good. I, I, good answer. I do it all over again. It was yeah, you know, despite the feelings of you know uneasy, uneasy. You know what's the word like? Not not being at ease and being nervous, and then I mean, once you get in the ring, I'm you're fine. I'm totally fine. Yeah, but, you know, like the whole thing about you know all the when you places like Noah and and all Japan. There's so many legends so many amazing athletes and you, you you're trying so hard to you know to impress them or to learn from them it's 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 really a uh, an incredible experience i'm going to just move move on to prospective guys that want to get into the business what would be your tips as it pertains to training and then obviously making it as a wrestler what would be your tips for young guys wanting to come into the business from your perspective um, we can look at it like as far as how to get to Japan, do you mean, or just in general? Yeah, I, I think, it, yeah, general, but then, yeah, if you'd like to extend off that, Japan is, you know, what you do in terms of Japan as well. So, yeah, two two parts to it, if that's all right. Yeah, all right, we'll start with in general. Um, I have only recently in the last two or three years been very inf- heavily influenced by, obviously there's the Fujiwara thing, who was influenced, he was very much influenced by a guy called Carl Gotch. Mm-hmm. Now, Gotch over here in Japan is, is, uh, is the, they call him the god of wrestling. And his big thing was always, um, uh, cardio is your best hold. Your best finishing maneuver is cardio. So I would say, first of all, if you want to get into the business here, you, you have to absolutely find, excuse me, you have to absolutely find a good trainer. Some of the proven pedigree who can get you places, who has connections, but is also a very good trainer. It's super important that you get trained properly. That's super important. That's the biggest thing. Get trained properly. The next biggest thing is you don't waste your time playing video games or stuck in your phone or whatnot. You must hit the gym. You got to look the part. It's so important. People will take the piss if you're a bag of bones and you're trying to body slam people. It's a little bit different if you're a high flyer <laughs> and you're very uh, athletic and, and uh, you know, what's the word? But, you know, at the end of the day, even though we're here to entertain, we're still trying to present this as this is legit, this is a real product, or this is, I'm trying to kill this guy. I want to beat this guy. And we really want, you know, you, you look back at some of your heroes in pro wrestling and they're guys, you know, you look back, let's say, my generation was always like DX, the early version of DX, right? You look at Shawn Michaels, you look at Triple H, these guys look like Greek gods, right? Even before that, like the generation before me, like the Hogans and the Savages, these guys were people that we wanted to be like. Like you look at someone like, like a Randy Orton, and they used to always say, like JBL used to say, if you wanted to build a wrestler from the ground up, you would build a Randy Orton. And he's 100% right. That guy is like a Greek god, but it comes from, you know, like 100% working hard in the gym, getting your gym time in, getting what I call getting the road work in, which is going out and running. I, I think if you really, really want to dedicate yourself to being a wrestler, you cannot skimp, you cannot be lazy when it comes to getting in the gym and trying to look the best that you can be. Because at the end of the day, we're all in the business for ourselves to get ourselves further. And you can only do in that. You can only do that being the the best version of yourself that you can be. 
that's the biggest thing I can say is get in the gym, look the part, and get trained properly. How about in terms of Japan then? If it was a young guy, Japan, yeah, how does it differ? So you know the the general obviously it's different different rules apply, don't they? Um, it's extremely it's almost a closed door for foreigners to get here. If you're a foreigner trying to get into New Japan, it's entirely through a connection. You wrestled, you're an ex WWE guy. You're an R. If they had it, I think they had a contract with ROH. I'm not sure if they still do. You're an ROH guy, and you can then you can cross over, right? Or you're an ex whatever. They generally never ever take an unknown. At the moment, um, as far as in the 80s and 90s. It was even harder. You had to be an established star in somewhere to get over to Japan. As far as right now, it's a hundred percent. No matter where you are in anywhere in any company in Japan, it's who you know. It's who. That's absolutely who you know. The only way to to get a, some kind of career here in Japan is to fly yourself over. By the Tajiri flew himself over to Mexico. By the way, when he was a young young boy, which is how he got scouted to go to ECW, mm. he entirely funded himself to go over there to East to the to Mexico, and was uh, introduced to Paul Heyman to get him in, you know, through his Mexican connections. But you would have to fly yourself over to Japan, get a job as an English teacher or in a bar or whatever. If you're an American, it's hard because you need to have a um, degree because Americans need to have degrees. Luckily for an Australian or an a, uh, you know, a, a Brit or a Canadian, they have working holiday visas, which are easy to get. But you have to kind of, you have to be here first and then try and knock on someone's door and see if they let you in. It's really hard, really super hard here to get in at the moment. Let's go. Or you be, a, be a promoter. Be a promoter somewhere, fly someone in mm-hmm. who's got some power in Japan and then you scratch their back, they'll scratch yours kind of thing. That's usually probably how it will work if you're an established, but not in a beer company. If you're someone like, uh, say, in, in Eastern Europe or someone in Australia, that's probably how you'd get in. But at the end of the day, it's all about who you know. That's good. Good answer. Good. That's that's good. Good thing for these uh, young guys to take away. Definitely. That's. I really wanted to ask you that. Just obviously, everyone's perception's different and the answers different. So it's cool to ask you guys. Now, going the deal here is if- sorry. Sorry, just I'll say one more thing. Yeah, is um, if you have the heart and the desire and the will to never give up, you can be a pro wrestler no matter how big or small you are. And and Japanese will especially take you if you just have that. Even if even if that's all you have at the beginning, they will take to you, and they will train you to be a wrestler. I mean, I'm not gonna say anybody can do it, but. You don't have to be the most technically gifted. You know, when you get here, you just have to have a massive heart and you probably most likely will be able to find your footing somewhere and get your foot in the door somewhere here. That's cool, man. What are some of your favorite matches of all time? I can imagine there's quite quite a lot of matches, but yeah, just maybe you can just encapsulate a few matches. As a, as a fan, not necessarily as a wrestler. Yeah, maybe when you were growing up, some of the yeah. matches that you enjoyed watching, I want to ask you that. Well, how about I do first, uh, because I want to touch on how I became Fujiwara. Yeah. So I'll do, 
I'll do my my favorite. Uh, let's say my favorite two matches as a as a worker, and then some of my favorite ones. Not uh, as a fan, obviously, because at the end of the day, we're all fans. We're, you know, that's why we want to be wrestlers. But I had been wrestling for eight months as a guy called Yankee Ryan. I didn't choose that name. Um, I'm not American. But here in Japan, a Yankee is not an American. A Yankee is a loudmouth kind of Noel. And... They Tajiri had really wanted me to be this shoot fighting, loud mouth white guy, and you know I had grown up watching WWE and not a whole lot of Japanese wrestling, so I didn't really have much of an idea what a shoot fighting wrestler was. That was the biggest problem, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I just I'm not the greatest actor, perhaps. But I, I, I didn't really pick up on the whole, you know, loudmouth thing because I was too caught up in trying to learn how to wrestle more that he really, he wanted, to, I was the only one in the company, he really wanted to have a, a character as straight away. Um, but he put me as Yankee Ryan and eight months in, I'm going to say no. So February I debuted. In July he came to me and he said to me, we have this massive big show at Korakuen Hall, which is like the Mecca of wrestling here in Tokyo, right? In Japan. And WNC only ran that two, two times a year, whereas all the other big companies ran it every month. And we really need to sell out because it costs $10,000 US per night to rent it out, which is quite a big mm -hmm. uh, down payment for a small company like us. So he said to me, I will give you a match with the biggest legend I can find on the condition that you get 100 signatures to say they will come, right? And that means 100 tickets, right? Because it ended up being obviously Fujiwara. Fujiwara costs a hell of a lot, he said to me. And uh, if I'm going to give you this platform, and it's way too early for you to be doing it, you've only been wrestling eight months, but I'm going to do it. At the time, it was, only, it was only five months when he came to me. I was green as, as they come. He said, I really got to make sure we get butts in seats, right? Fujiwara will take care of you, but he costs a lot. So we're going to do this shoot storyline where you, if you don't get 100 names on a piece of paper, you don't get the match. So we go down to Fujiwara's office and with the cameras and everyone thought it was some kind of like kayfabe story. It was like some kind of made up, but it was 100% legit. If I didn't get 100 butts in seats, I wasn't going to get the match. And Fujiwara knew it. Um, we went down, we did this whole thing on the cameras. And I ended up getting 278 signatures. Such was the popularity of the whole match. I had some people buying tickets, signing the form and saying, I can't go that night, but I'm supporting you. Because, because the fans kind of, they see us come up from... They see us like they see your hand because in Japan they have these things called seconds where you sit on the apron. I don't know if you ever watched any Japanese wrestling, yeah. I see these kids oh, and they like this and they, and they watch, right? Yeah. So I was a second, I was a second the whole time before I debuted. And the whole idea about seconds is they call it a, a second is to get out there, let the fans see you. And so the fans are invested in you as a person, they see you from day one. Sitting down there as a green rookie, 
before you know anything, looking and watching, to the minute that you debut, to whatever. So these fans had seen me as a second, as a young boy coming through, and they were really invested in me to have this match with Fujiwara. We were on the road one day after everything had been decided, and, you know, Tajiri said to me, you know what? I don't really like this Yankee Ryan name anymore. And Tajiri is a guy who is very, he'll change his mind like that. Whatever it is, the whole reason we went to Wrestle 1 is because overnight he decided he didn't want to run WNC anymore. He wanted to be a contracted wrestler again and not be a promoter slash owner. That's why we moved within weeks. He decided that he wanted to change my name again. And I was one of the few to get this like special treatment. Of, of, he was really trying to shape me as a character. He said to me, uh, go to Fujiwara and say to him, if I impress you, if I impress you, after the match, please allow me to be your student. He said to me, like, I, I want you to be this, this shoot fighter wrestler. It's not really working out because you, you don't really know what, and I didn't. I didn't know what really what a shoot fighter was. I'd only been watching WWF the whole time. WWE. He goes, I still want you to train with us, but you need to go and train with someone who's a shoot fighter. So if Fujiwara accepts you, you'll need to go train with him as well as train with us. So I had the match with him. At the end of the day, Fujiwara, at the end of the match, he says to me, out of the blue, I have no idea this was coming. Except that I heard, I'd already asked him, is it okay, you know, if I'm, if I'm, may I, may you allow me to train with you, sir? But he said out of the blitz on YouTube as well, he said to me, we had Mike in hand, from tomorrow, you are now known as Fujiwara Ryan. I was like, wow, what the hell? And it's the first time in the history of Japanese pro wrestling, and probably ever will be, that, you know, I've been christened in the ring by a Japanese legend and given a name. So that obviously for that reason was my all time favorite match. Um, and then the other matches of course been with like, you know, with Marufuji and, and Tajiri and, and Muta just for being in the ring. But probably as the one that I clearly remember the most apart from Fujiwara is, is the Matt Hardy match just for how great that guy is and like how professional like he is like just I mean that's that that is a professional wrestler right there. You know? That's quite quite the resume, guys, you've been in there with I bet it's just incredible for I you mean, as as a performer. I, I, I don't know why I I'm I'm not I'll be the first to say I'm not exactly a a, a religious guy. That there may be some kind of God like something out there that whatever I'm not 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 don't want to get onto that topic, but Someone is looking out for me because I don't know how I got so lucky. Like Tajiri used to always say to me, like, lucky boy, lucky boy. And, you know, he always speak in Japanese to me, but he'd always say, Ryan's son, lucky boy, lucky boy. And my old man used to always say to me, my dad, he used to say to me, and he still does, you put your hand down the toilet and you'll pull out a gold watch. And, you know, and that's kind of true because I just been very fortunate not always deserving i suppose but it's a testament to if you work hard 
and shut up and do what you're told and uh, learn from the best that, you know, you, you can get opportunities. And, you know, due to that Fujiwara training and my previous martial arts background, Wrestle One and WNC, anytime we can get onto this, and I, I do want to touch on this a little bit about MMA and pro wrestling and how they're connected, but they would always put me with the MMA guy who wants to try pro wrestling. And there's a lot of them, you know. Uh, and without even kind of really knowing it, I did somehow become, without meaning to be, a shoot, a shoot fighting wrestler without even knowing, you know, how, how I did it or wanting to even be one, you know. That's cool. Now, as far as, as, far as favorite matches, yeah, I, my favorite of all time is the, the double, the, well, the first, Taker versus Michaels WrestleMania match. But what got me onto wrestling was um, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Uh, sorry, versus Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. When Stone Cold bled. Yeah. And, and watching Bret Hart as a boy, I may have only been 10 or 11, but watching him go to work on Austin's leg... And just being like, oh, my, as a boy, you're like, oh, my God. Like, he is just ripping the shit out of Austin's leg. How is Austin able to stand? How is he? How can he do this? Right? And then when he locks it in the sharpshooter, knowing that he's taken all this damage on this leg as a, as a little boy, you're like, he has to give up. He has to give up. And he doesn't. And that was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest shit ever created by man. This is, that was like the match that hooked me. Right was was definitely that. Uh, I think what was that WrestleMania thirteen nineteen nineteen ninety seven. I I was we watched. I watched it live. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, I was. Well, what was I? Ninety seven. Fuck. Jeez. No. Not even ten. Yeah, you're same. You're born the same year as me. Eighty six. Yeah. Right. Uh, we have. Uh, that that feud that feud had more legs as well. It was such a shame. I know Brett went on to WCW. They they had yeah. more. They had a, they had the longer stories to tell. I know they had great matches like yeah. back end back end of '96 through to '97. Just imagine Brett hadn't left or yeah. Stone Cold had gone to WCW. Who knows? Yeah. But they don't run they don't run feuds like that, especially in America now. It's it's all yeah. done, it's all done in a nanosecond, isn't it? I know. Yeah. I know the business has changed, yeah. but yeah. What what other matches? What other matches can you you know stick in your mind growing up? Um, well, I I I almost cried my eyes out when you know when when HBK said. I mean, I'm always getting a bit emotional now when he said, "I'm sorry," and then super click super kicked Ric Flair. It was like just this is what wrestling is about. This is not about the super kick, right? It's about the story, mm-hmm. like. Ric Flair spent six months not getting fired, not getting retired. Yeah. And coming out of nowhere. And then, I mean, we knew it was coming. We all knew it was coming. We knew that HBK had lost before, the couple of years before to H to Taker. He was not going to lose that one. It was Ric Flair's time to go. We knew that, but we still didn't want it to happen because we were emotionally invested in the story. That's what wrestling's about. I was, I was you know? there. I was in Orlando yeah. for it. 
Yeah. Oh, lucky man, lucky man. Incredible, incredible. What a night. And also, obviously, Undertaker and Edge the same night. And then uh, yes. just going back going back to Michaels and Taker, I wasn't in uh, Houston for 25. I had to watch it from home. But I was yeah. there for the uh, career-threatening, the street versus the career. I was, in, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Phoenix for the second one. Total different yeah. match. Total different right. match, wasn't it? it, yeah. it just, that's just how good those guys were, man. My, my, uh, one of my best friends from Australia, massive wrestling fan, he was there for both. For, sorry, for the second match, and then he went to Raw the night after. Yeah. And he had the signs with my name on them, which was really cool. You know, obviously, my, my real name, my last, my shoot name is McAvoy. And everyone calls me Maca. So he has a sign there like, hey, Maca, you know, in WrestleMania. That's my <laughs> little WrestleMania moment, you know? <laughs> I was in attendance for that. I need to go, yeah. I need to go back out. I need to watch that Raw again. I'll have, I'll have, yeah. a on the, have a look on the network, look out for the sign, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah. It's a yellow, a fluoro, fluoro green yellow sign uh, that says, hey, Maka. There's a lot, lot, of Aussie, lot of Aussies over there, as, as there was a lot of uh, UK. It's great. It's great to, uh, when we all go over and do that. I need to do another one, yeah. but yeah. It's not about me anyway. I've kind of gone into me. <laughs> hey. yeah, no, go ahead. We're here to talk wrestling. In football, I, I want to get onto football. I, I've got to get onto football. <laughs> we spoke about this off camera, and then you yeah. said you're not going to like who I support, right? You're a Liverpool fan. Uh, yeah. Just how 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 are you about winning the title? I'm sure you're related. Finally, well, the, the first thing, go on. Sorry, finally winning the, the Liverpool winning the title. I know, like you guys, you've been waiting thirty years for that. And, uh, well, the first thing is, I I, I don't have, I don't dislike hate Everton at all it's good for the city if both teams are, are thriving so I mean I, I see your nice Everton shirt there I wish I wore my Liverpool shirt uh, <laughs> you got your rock you got your rock one on mate rock. Hold on. yeah man but, um, my, my father as I told you mm-hmm. very small town up north Workington you know managed by Bill Shankly in the 50s he was based in you know it he was based in the Merchant Navy in Liverpool, so that's why he's a Liverpool fan. And when you're from such a little town, even to this day, most of the people in working in are Man United supporters now. But in the, at the time, you, you, know, you supported one of the biggest teams, right? So a lot of people are Liverpool fans. But he had, like, people that have become basically our family, extended family, are all from Liverpool. And those families are all split 50-50, right? There are... I don't know. I, I, you would know better than me, but of all the families we know, there's at least one or two or split of the family who's a blue and a red. Mm-hmm. Or, friend, or friends, best friends are split. So I know that the rivalry is massive and the motorcycle derbies are um, amazing, but I want Everton to be good because that means we got to be that much better. We have to be because we don't want to lose to you guys. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want Everton to be above us. You don't want Liverpool to be above you. (laughs) You know, usually happens, you know. (laughs) But as far as winning the title, I mean, the last time we did it, I, was it 1990? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I don't know. I, 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 was, I wasn't even watching. Yeah, I, was, I, was, yeah, I, was, I was too young. I was too young, mate. You know, same, same age, aren't we? But, uh, it just... But, 30 years of heartbreak. 
<laughs> you know, 30 years of mismanagement of mm-hmm. almost getting there, but you know, when the Gerard Julia, who you know, then we had Rafa, who played incredibly mm-hmm. negative football, but almost got us there. Yeah. Then we went. Then we went from Roy Hodgson and the American owners who almost bankrupted us. We're on. We're hours away from being, you know, from folding. You know, the bank, Royal Bank of Scotland, stepped in and sold us to the Boston Red Sox owners for an incredibly cheap amount. You know, Fenway Sports Group, who have been incredible for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, Jurgen Klopp, what a man! What a man! I, I mean, he is. He is the the next coming of Shankly. The way he's galvanized the team. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he spoke out it when the supporters left the stadium early. This, 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 this Liverpool fans will not dare leave that stadium wow. until the final whistle because of, of Klopp. And, I mean, that's what football needs. And I think finally you've, you, you, you guys have got someone mm-hmm. who somewhat, you know, he's not as charismatic as Klopp, who is really. Yeah. But as far as being a football genius, he's certainly, Ancelotti is certainly, you know, right up there. Don Carlo. Carlo Magnifico. Yeah. That's what yeah, it's all yeah. about. Proper, proper manager. I did, I did yeah. take, take away going, just segueing into Everton. I did take what you were saying when we came back after lockdown for the eight, nine games. And they, everyone was yeah. saying, why have you not signed anyone? Well, he said, I'm going to wait till next year. But he's still, there's, there's a lot of dead weight. There's a lot of dead weight there. They're looking at um, Wilfred, Wilfred Zahar and Awobi yeah. going the other way, I think. We're trying to hash out a deal. Okay. I know he's trying to get that one over, but... If yeah. we've got to keep, we've got to keep those three guys fit: Alan, Rodriguez, yeah. and Decore. They're the hotbed of the middle now. But it'll be interesting. Yeah. And we've not beaten you guys in ten years. The last, the last win was at Goodison in 2010. I remember it well. There you go. So yeah, there it'll be go. interesting when we have the derbies this year, mate, to see see what happens. Um, you've you've not had a whole lot of, a whole lot of luck at Anfield. No, no uh, but you usually can get a draw at Goodison. 1999, we last beat you at Anfield. Kevin Campbell scored. That Kevin Campbell. <laughs> Even Gerard got sent off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it well, yeah, mate. Kevin I remember Campbell. it well. Yeah. Right, Ryan? Yes. Can you yep. plug, your, plug your social media? Also, can you plug, you've talked about the filmmaking. So if you could plug like right where your films are and stuff like that, that'd be cool. Just to come away from the wrestling a little bit, you know. Yeah. I recently watched a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And it made me jump off Facebook completely. Just want to give it a break. I still have Messenger on there. That's how we communicate. I still keep Messenger. And not just because really because of the, the documentary, but just like, you know, I'm involved in a lot of martial arts groups and catch wrestling groups. Uh, other general stuff and just the amount of absolute shite that goes on in these groups is just it was just too much like people constantly you know bashing each other and commenting and it's just like I'm 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 checking out of this whole Facebook experience so I stay on Twitter mm-hmm. only because I have to it's, it's kind of big here in Japan for wrestlers so it's I am Ryan I am R-I-O-N-N-E mm-hmm. and I chose that. An interesting story. I'll tell you why I chose that handle. I was uh, WWE. They still well until the Corona. They come over to Japan every summer. And before I debuted back in 2010, I went to the show 
I went out drinking afterwards and I randomly stumbled into Chris Jericho coming out of a convenience store in Tokyo. And I said, Chris was the young kid, 24 or something, right? Well, I was 24. Chris, I just went to this show. It was amazing. He was, he was wasted, drunk. He had a pint glass in his hand that he had walked out of a, a pub with, right? And he was drinking on the street. In Japan, you're allowed to drink on the street, by the mm-hmm. way. And he said, hey, kid. He's like, hey, how was the show? And he was wasted. And he was with the referee from Undertaker, Shawn Michaels 1, who would always remind you about that. I was, I was the referee in that. Good guy, good guy. And we, we, he goes, come on, come with me, kid. And we went back to the hotel, which was only a couple of minutes away. And I sat in the lobby and drank with Chris Jericho from three o'clock in the morning to about seven o'clock in the morning. Wow. Randomly, completely randomly. Yeah, yeah. The best way. Randomly. And <laughs> the, reason, the reason that I chose that handle because he was on his phone tweeting and I had no idea what Twitter was. And I went on there and I was kind of trying to look over and I saw him like, you know, and back in the day in 2010 for Twitter, you know, like celebrities would actually seriously reply to their fans. Now, I don't know, it might be teams or maybe they retweet more. Yeah. But I, I went on there and the first person I, I uh, followed was Jericho. And I, he's, I am Jericho. Right. And I was like, I didn't know any better. So I just, I am my own. And he was the first guy I followed. I just kept it ever since. So it's just it's a crazy story, that one. Um, and that's, that's the only social media I have. At least, right you can, at least you can just keep it, to, you know, nice and concise. And yeah, I like, I like the way you've yeah. done that, man. Yeah. My guest for Stupid Wrestling Podcast today, Ryan Fujiwara, all the way from Tokyo, Japan. Absolute, absolute honor to have you on, man. I've, I've loved it. I've really I really enjoyed hearing your story, man, and, and the career, yeah, thank you. and, and make, making your life in Japan, and it, it's uh, really, yeah. re- really inspiring. It'll be inspiring for young lads here on, on the North Wales coast. We've got a lot of wrestling schools, and uh, they're, doing, they're doing very well. I really, do, I really do want to get over to the UK to work. I really want to wrestle there. In 2015, I had the chance to do some private training with, with Marty Jones. Because I, um, I was, as I was, I was going over to the UK for a holiday to see my family, and I was approached by a magazine, wrestling magazine in here. They, they see my Twitter. I had said that I'm going to the UK, and they said, we really want to do a story on Marty. Can we pay you to interpret for him and take photos for us while you're there? Because they loved Marty. And so we went down to his gym, and he, he stretched me hard. He put on a few good holds that made me tap legit. And I interviewed him for him and I took photos. So that's my only experience I have in the UK. But I really want to get down to the, well, over to the UK. And you know, I have a lot of family there. And I really want to work over there. But it's a great wrestling scene that you have. It, funnily enough, Marty Jones was at a local dojo literally 10 miles away a couple of weeks ago doing a yeah. sem- seminar. And a lot of the guys go up to his school up in the... Uh, near Manchester, Greater Manchester way as well. The lads travel from here. To go. So it's just, yeah. it's just brilliant. It's, it's full. I'm sure it's full circle for him uh, training these young, young kids, man. So yeah, it's uh, as you say. It's got so much stuff. What a, what a hotbed it is. I know there's a lot worldwide, a lot of areas where it's big, but uh, especially here, the amount of independence now is uh, 
crazy. To see where it was 10 years ago to where it is now, you know, that's, that's cool, man. Ryan Fujiwara, thank you so much for coming on, man. I've loved it. I've loved thank every you so second much of it. Podcast Network.